Today's podcast is brought to you by Elderwood Pipes. Check them out on Etsy or check them out on Instagram.com backslash Elderwood Pipes. On today's episode, I have my first guest. I bring on my buddy John. He just graduated from Northeastern and we're going to discuss a little bit of politics and a little bit of international relations as well as his hobby of pipe making. So we're going to get into the nitty gritty and talk about a little bit about his life, his background, and how he got into the art of pipe making. So come on in. Let's start the episode. Welcome to the cabin. Hey, welcome, and thank you for tuning into episode three of Life at the Cabin podcast. And today is kind of a milestone. It is our first guest, and I would like to introduce Jonathan Hugendorn. And I'm going to give you a quick background, and then I'm going to we're going to just start diving into this. But uh, again, welcome for tuning in. We're excited that you're here. It's a beautiful night. The frogs are cre- uh, creaking. The Crickets are chirping. I think the stars will be out soon. It's just a beautiful night. We even thought about recording this out on the porch, but I didn't want to drag all my electronics out there and risk something happening. So let's dive right into this. So, Jonathan, congratulations, first off, on your graduation from Northeastern. Thank you. And uh, political sciences and international relations. Is is that right? Yeah, so master's degree um, in international relations and global studies. And, uh, yeah, just finished as of last Friday. So from a political science perspective, like you, you said. You just walked last Friday. Just walked last Friday. Technically, I'm still working on my thesis, but uh, we'll be done soon enough. Yeah, there you go. So, so um, give, me, give me a little bit of a background on uh, the, the political science. I mean, I have, I'm a little bit political savvy, and, I mean, we've had multiple political discussions and oh, yeah. debates, and all is good. We come from two ends of the spectrum, but, again, that, that's the beauty of of where we live and I guess the people that we are. It's okay to agree to disagree, but give me a little bit of background on um, some of the things that you studied in school and then uh, uh, what you want to do with that. Yeah, so a little bit of perspective. My, my program was run by a 30-year diplomat for the State Department, U.S. State Department, and so it's a lot from that perspective. So a lot of the high-level government-to-government relations, a lot of the political science theory, but also do a very practical level um, on the business side, um, also with elements of national security, but really how do all those things fit together? So how does business fit with national security? <clears throat> how do different leaders' styles um, affect business? And how do those businesses connect country to country? You kind of, I've kind of picked my own route, and you know, I find myself in business today. For the longest time, my interest was more in the federal sector. I still have a lot of interest in that and love studying it but always look at my business and those pursuits through the federal perspective. Now, it sounds like, and, and through our conversations in the, uh, the past, like it would be also working militarily. Would there would you, there be a big aspect of the military involved, or is it, is it more just more about diplomatic relations? And- yeah, so, ba- you know, background, I don't have any military experience. Um, I did grow up with... Which a, is okay, we don't hang... hang <laughs> I'm the only one in the room without military experience, but... Uh, yeah, Kate, I, I, I don't know if we mentioned it, but Katie and I were both in the Air Force, 
but that's okay. We forgive Jonathan. We still appreciate him. <laughs> yeah, you know, I grew up with a lot of military personnel, uh, some of my parents' best friends, uh, some of my, my close friends and my, my closest friends today are in the military, different branches, and I've spent a lot of time on military bases growing up, so there's certainly a military aspect to my academic life. Um, as you get further into studying the U.S. government, you realize how blurred the line is between the Department of State and Department of Defense, especially when you look at places like the embassy in Baghdad, uh, which is a military complex, even though it is a diplomatic site. So as I studied, you know, when I entered the program, I had very little interest in the military aspect, or at least very little knowledge. And the further I got into, the more I realized how indispensable of an aspect of international relations militaries are. Yeah. So as I studied diplomats and the Department of State, I saw how ambassadors utilized the military, how the secretaries of state utilized the military. And as I got closer to my, my friends in the program and outside the program that are military personnel, I began to make a very conscious effort to try to understand the military, all the different branches and the hierarchy as yeah. well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's... I mean... It, the hope is we would like we would like there to be peace in the world, and I mean we would want, but that's not the reality of things in the world as it is right now. And hopefully those are some things that we can move forward to. But I mean, inter- international relations are really important, and it's actually something I really applaud you for going into. And it's a it's a complicated, it's really complicated. Yeah. And I mean we have mo- thousands upon thousands of different countries that. How do we how do we interact with them? How do we interact with them when things are good? How do we interact when things are when they're they don't they don't want to listen for the most part? So I applaud yeah. you for going on that field. Where would you uh, where would you want to end up um, in in the future if uh, if not in Boston? Uh, where are you thinking? Yeah, the the dream would be to stay stateside for a while. I love Boston, even though I'm from Texas. To let you guys know a little bit. Yeah, give us give us give us a quick little background on that before. Um, yeah, sure. we'll do the background and then we'll jump into where you'd like to go. Sounds like a good idea. So, yeah, I'm 24 years old and I grew up outside of Dallas, Texas in Arlington. Spent the majority of my life there navigating between there and New Mexico and um, with a short stint abroad with my family. And, you know, so that, that's my home. Uh, the conservative, the Bible Belt is, <laughs> is what I consider home. And, and we'll get into more discussion on that later. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a little, little sideshow. Um, I stayed in Texas traveling the world, for, using Texas as a base all through college. I took a year off after I finished undergrad and um, traveled a little bit more, decided I wanted to pursue my master's and moved to Boston about two years ago to start that. So pretty new to the Northeast, Texan at heart, Southern at heart, um, transplanted to the Northeast and loving it. Yeah, no, it's it's a pretty great city. It's yeah. pretty it's pretty interesting. I mean, again, I mean, you and I, after our conversation, we both have kind of our southern roots. Me being born in Virginia and moving to Texas, you almost a lifelong lifelong Texan, but in the the western region. But yeah, it's it, there, there's something really special about Boston that you know I don't know it keeps us coming back. Oh yeah, I love it. So okay, now where would again you've been stateside? Where would you want to go? My, my biggest interest in the world is the relationship between the rest, the West and Russia. Um, I, you know, it kind of came about really organically. I didn't always think that. And so I, I would love to serve either the government or a business that is related to the government. 
in Eastern Europe. <clears throat> I've spent a, a, quite a bit of time traveling in Eastern Europe, former Yugoslavia, Poland, and would love to be involved in that relationship in the Poland, Romania, Bulgaria area. Mm -hmm. So whether that's on the business or federal side, I'm not sure where I'm going to end up. Um, I would love to be someday a part of the security apparatus, um, you know, part of the defense industry, um, utilizing more of my business skills more than maybe my diplomatic and political science skills, but finding a way to meld those two. But um, I'd like to be good at something before I go there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, um, I'm actually, we're going to stick along those lines, but um, I mean, tensions have been kind of high recently. I mean, you yes. look at the, the Ukraine and what's been going on over there with uh, um, Russia coming to the Crimea region. I mean, what what, do you, what is your take on that? And I mean, I know, uh, guys, I know we're being a little political here, but this is actually really interesting stuff. And I want to just touch on what Jonathan has learned, because it, it really is fascinating with what what is going on in our time. And I think he's got a lot of insight into it. And it's someone who opinion I've really learned to respect on these these uh these issues and I've actually gotten more in-depth knowledge on these issues in another fresh perspective so yeah what do you what do you think about all that stuff as things kind of escalate and you we've even heard the term that this is like a a, a rekindling of the the cold war um posturing yeah and that depends on who you talk to <clears throat> um it's it's certainly a valid way to look at it uh, that this is maybe a new a new iteration of the Cold War. I'm not sure I would agree with that. Um, it's certainly some interesting things going on, maybe some slightly unnerving things going on. Uh, you know, I don't have the figures off the top of my head, but we've increased by a very high percentage our, our the U.S. military buildup on the Eastern Front. So uh, putting new missile defenses in Poland um, in relationship with the Czech Republic, um, putting in new missile defenses in Romania a couple weeks ago, yeah. um, and Russia being really furious about that. Um, and, you know, I, I think both countries are doing the best they can to make sure that they feel safe. And that's what started the Cold War, you know, with, with the advent of nuclear weapons, and we're dealing with the aftermath of that. You know, from an American perspective, we see Russia making very bold moves in places like Ukraine and Georgia in 2008 um, and kind of making new moves in the Baltic states and submarines in the Baltic Sea. And so we obviously want to make sure that we're secure. And so it seems like we're just doing what we what we see as justified to keep ourselves safe. Um, that keeping ourselves safe makes Russia um, angry as well, um, thinking that we're encroaching upon their freedom of defense and uh, the, the nuclear balance between the two states. Uh, it, it's unnerving. Um, I try to also view things from a Russian perspective. I've done a lot of study of Russian history. I do a very rudimentary degree. I understand where Putin's coming from and where his administration is coming from. It's a very, seems to be a very classic Russian standpoint back to kind of the, the communist Stalin era um, of trying to reunite the countries that were a part of the Soviet Union and that's you know that's not an evil pursuit um, but it's certainly one that's that's hard to to deal with as an American and, and try to understand our place in that well, well I'm, and just coming from an, uh, another perspective I know a lot of a lot of people would disagree with you I mean seeing that the how all these countries that have broken off from the former Soviet Union, especially Ukraine, um, they would also see it as just Russia trying to stretch out their imperialism again. Going back to, I mean, uh, we're looking at terms used in the turn of the century of, uh, you know, the Spanish-American War, where they considered the U.S. 
doing some imperialism. What is it, Buster? I'm sorry, guys. We got Buster. He wants to get on in on the podcast. He's our border collie here. He wants my pizza. Do you want to say something? Do you want to add something to the podcast? Oh. <laughs> but um, I mean, you look at you look at that, and again, they're would you? A lot of people would say that it's just going back to old policies mm-hmm. and old old world old world thinking. Um, but you kind of see it differently, and I mean, I. I just to disagree, I feel like that there would, there is some tension because those countries have established themselves away from uh, Russia. I know that it's not Russia is not the full-on <clears throat> communist country that that we saw and the posturing that we saw and during the the height of the Cold War. But at the same time, it does seem like some 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 of those tactics are being used. Um, Definitely. What would you? Well, actually, again, what would you say to someone who who actually would be vehemently disagree with you? Uh, vehemently disagree with me in saying that this is a in a form a new iteration of the Cold War. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I mean, it, it's perfectly valid. I understand where they're coming from, and I would agree with a lot of it. You know, what I'm not trying to say is that Russia's actions in Ukraine should not be taken seriously. I mean, they're they're very. They're very strongman tactics. They're um, a lot of people would say that they're against international law, and uh, that's uh, maybe true. Uh, so it's certainly things that need to be taken very seriously by the West. So what I don't want to do is say, you know, let's just let Russia do that because he just, you know, wants to get his old friends together. That's not what I'm trying to yeah, say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I would agree. Um, I, I think that. You know, I was talking about the blurring of the lines between the Department of State and Department of Defense. Where the United States is trying to take this is uh, a diplomatic and a military solution. So obviously we can't pull back our military uh, from the front because that would that would weaken our security apparatus. Oh, yeah, and I mean, as a former uh, military member in the, working in the Air Force, I mean, we deployed our jets to Lithuania as kind of like a, a, a deterrence. Or just a, as a not a deterrence, but more of a presence, saying like, mm-hmm. "Listen, we we understand tensions are high, but let's let's see. I mean, let's be real. I mean, military presence is is a, is a way of diplomacy and saying, listen, we're here. <clears throat> let's see if we can get back to the table on this. We don't want to. I mean, we never want to come to to using bombs and missiles. And again, right. we are the biggest nuclear." With the two biggest nuclear arsenals in the world, right? Well, and, and when you have a military standoff, which you know neither one, neither one of us wants to get into a war in Europe, <clears throat> and you know it doesn't seem like it'll come to that. But when when you have a military standoff, what do you have left? You either have war or you have diplomacy. Um, uh, hopefully not both. <laughs> yeah, oh, and yeah, so yeah. you know this is where it comes to diplomacy, where we things didn't turn out so well in the long run of the post-Cold War period. Russia feels hurt by the way that they were treated by the West. Um, you know, be that correct or incorrect, that's that seems to be how they feel. Um, and that they weren't led into the geoeconomic um, security area. You know, they, their geoeconomics were not kept up with the West. And they seem to be a little hurt by that. And I, I understand. Um... But what do we do when we now have massive military buildups? We both know that we have the largest nuclear arsenals. Um, we start to look at it from an international relations perspective. So, you know, back in 1963, uh, the, the Cuban Missile Crisis, yeah. uh, there was a military solution to that. It was a chaotic one and one that may have destroyed a lot of civilization. Thankfully, we were able to work it out through through diplomacy between uh, Kennedy and Khrushchev. Um, 
hopefully we can continue to do that. Tensions are not as high now as they were in 1963. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a different world. It's definitely a different world. Yeah, so there's there's still an open window for that. So I, I completely understand where people are coming from when they see it's a new iteration of the Cold War. There's there's a lot of truth to that. Yeah. And how much how much do you think media plays a part in that and kind of make it, maybe making it bigger than it than it seems? I mean, on on both sides, if you look on both sides yeah. of the spectrum. On both sides, definitely. Um, I don't consider myself a Russian media expert, so I, I don't speak Russian. Oh, I, I, um, I'm going to – disclaimer, we are <laughs> – I don't know Russian. <laughs> and I'm not an expert on this or any of this. I'm just – I have a master's degree, and that's what we're talking about because it's our interest. And That's – that's yeah, I, I would say I, I get most of my input from him. So. <laughs> <laughs> and so from an American perspective, yeah, I see, I see a lot of oversight from the media – in playing on people's fears of Russia, and that's where I where I talk about kind of let's you know talk about the person of Putin, or let's talk about where the Russian system that we have right now came from, and why there's a revert to kind of more old um, Soviet tendencies that they're exercising right now in Eastern Europe. Viewing it from a historical perspective, it makes it a lot more. It, it makes it it makes a lot more sense when you look at it from a historical perspective and how they got to where they are right now. Um, yeah. Hey, do you mind if we segue here? Yep. This is actually some, one thing I'm really excited about to introduce you guys about Jonathan. Um, um, about a year ago, uh, we were introduced, and uh, uh, again, always be leery of social media. And, you know, sometimes, like, people will hide behind the digital wall. But this is one of the aspects where social media actually kind of introduced a new and good friend. And uh, last year, as we were kind of going through that battle with that struggle with cancer, um, following a pretty favorite artist of mine, he uh, showed up on Instagram with a really cool pipe. And I, I was just fascinated because it was just a great piece of work. And then I was looking at these pictures and on Instagram, and I just realized this is creative. Who is this guy? And I'm literally in, on my way to Boston, driving through Jamaica Plain, and I'm looking at his hashtags, and it says hashtag Boston, hashtag Massachusetts, hashtag Jamaica Plain. And I just made the startlingly discovery that this pipe maker was literally nine minutes, ten minutes away from where I was at this time. So I'm on my way to the hospital. I'm I'm doing what I'm not supposed to be doing. I'm you know typing on my phone, sending messages, and little did we know uh, a French uh, a good friendship actually was started budding on this. But you are a pipe maker yep. uh, and uh, go by the name Elderwood Pipes. Um, tell us a little bit about that. Tell <laughs> us how how did you get started with this? And I mean these are great pieces of, of artwork. Thank you. And not just, I mean, not just for smoking. I mean, they're they're great to look at. They're great to hold. They're just, everything about them is just fascinating. There's such a great design and a great touch that's put into them. So mm. tell us a little bit more how you got into that. Sure, yeah. And if, if you guys want to see it, you can just look it up on Instagram. You know, it's just a hobby for me. I have a career, so I just want to be friends with people, you know, make new friends like I did with Daniel through Instagram. So, And I'll post that link on the uh, the the podcast so that you guys can go check this out it's on etsy but let's get to your yeah sorry about that i didn't mean to interrupt sure just a little plug um yeah so it's i'm trying to make it a short story my my father owned his own construction company for the majority of my life and so i worked with him from a very young age learned carpentry 
and uh, hated it for a long, long time. Never saw any art in it. I was, I am a, a cellist by, by trade and was very much uh, an artist, romantic artist all the way through middle school and high school and saw very little value in, in construction world and carpentry. But my father just you know, making beautiful cabinetry and making tables for my mother. Um, I, I kind of put it to the side for a long time <clears throat> and put my artistic pursuits more into music, into poetry and uh, other things that I was not so good at. And eventually, I, I started to get back into the more making physical things. And there was a really hard period of my life. After I graduated college, I was engaged and broke it off. And was trying to find a good, a really good hobby that I could just make a lot of. And an, really an outlet. Yeah, an outlet that I could really put a lot of myself into. And so I made a tobacco pipe that I, I occasionally smoked tobacco pipes. And made one out of a 2x4 and... Uh, it was terrible, but it was my first one. I remember like <laughs> drilling the hole for the air for the airway and and fitting the stem on, and it was so ugly. But when I saw like the air go through there, it it just a leap of joy inside. I was like, oh my god, I just made a pipe, even though it was out of a two by four and it was awful. <laughs> and then I continued to make some. The, I had for two by four is pine, right? Yeah, it's just so a piece of pine. It's not a good wood for using for. Smoking pipes. Don't smoke pine tobacco pipes <laughs> if anybody asks you to. I'm telling you, don't. Uh, yeah, and I had some really awesome roommates at that time that we started to kind of figure it out together. Um, I named it Elderwood Pipes as I started to go through it, uh, kind of as a shout-out to my father, um, you know, using the word elder, um, since he's really the one that gave me the inspiration for it. Um, and I told him that later, even though he had no idea. And, you know, eventually people said, hey, I'll pay you $30 for this. And I said, okay, you know, I'll charge you just the material cost for this because uh, it's not going to be very good, but let me just make a couple. And then before I knew it, they were selling for, you know, prices that were, were pretty good. And I was starting to make money and um, cut it off for a while and didn't do too much with it. And then I moved to Boston and was, you know, I didn't know anybody and got to get back into it. Um, and it really started to kick the business off and start to utilize social media when I moved to Boston. So, yeah, now, now it's, it's a lot of fun. I spend most of my weekends making pipes on my porch, and it's quiet, and it's nice, and, and uh, I've made a lot, of, a lot of really good friends here in Boston through it. It's been amazing. It, it's, not only is it a business, but you, you made it a business to, um, as far as your, I, I would say, clients, but, I mean, let's, let's not even do that. You've, you've gone out of your way to kind of just make established friendships or relationships out of these pipes, which is really, really unique instead of just, like, you know, I mean, I'm literally driving through Boston, and you're like, hey, come on come on over, and yeah. we'll, we'll uh, just have a pipe. You, you have a kind of not only just a, unique, a very special touch with your pipes, but also you have a, a, a good personality that, that, that was really just kind of accommodating, and it made just made your your artwork that much more personifi personified that's good yeah. to hear <laughs> but um no i mean i i, I love it i'm tr truly honored actually that um i know that uh, it was a it was a weird time that we caught each other yeah. in especially um with uh my dad going through that time with cancer but I, I really truly am honored that you would again i commissioned you to make a pipe for my dad he ultimately didn't get to use it it's it's now mine but it's a good thing that i can look at that this this was also there's a good memories tied to it and that um it's a really unique gift because he himself was an artist like that mm -hmm. i mean uh he worked in driftwood he worked with he had these weird mushroom candle uh 
artwork that I've he would do. And they, I mean, it's great stuff. And I mean, yeah. I think you guys, it, it, I would have loved for you guys to meet, but I really appreciate it because, like, every time I have a chance to go kind of um, sit down with my pipe and really, really kind of have some time down to myself and really think it's a really good time to reflect and like I can think look at the pipe and you know there's good memories associated with it I'm glad to hear that you know that that's really what it's all about you know two of my very best friends that I made in Boston including yourself I literally just met through pipes you know and I've had people come visit me from other states to come stay at my house through making pipes and you know I I really don't care about the money Uh, it's really added a lot of value to my life and it's good, it's good to hear that on the other end, it adds value to, to other people's experience as well. So I want to encourage you, go on to Instagram, look up Elderwood Pipes, check out his stuff. It's really incredible stuff. And uh, if this is some, this is like, uh, ladies, this is a great gift for the man in your <laughs> life. I mean, okay, we're encouraging you to smoke. But you know what? This is this is really something one of a kind, just a great touch. And it's it's just, I mean... The prices are, are reasonable. They're great. It's a great gift. I would highly recommend that. Um, he's just got a gift, and I, I want. I think that's one of the things that when somebody has a gift, let's share it with the world. But um, hey, let's. I, we're we're drinking some stuff here. I, I want <laughs> to get your opinion. Let's. I need to fill up, but let's also give an opinion on what what you think of this. So I'm yeah, gonna go step grab out. the bottle. A little parenthetical here. Hold on. All right, so what's this stuff called? So, um, we, uh, I am a big Scotch fan. Um, it's good just to kind of sit down. One of the things that's fun about having these pipes is actually kind of opening your palate and trying some. It's a rather strong drink, don't get me wrong, but it's good to kind of enjoy it along with the pipe. But today, we wanted to try something a little more American. Rugged Urban. beards, plaid, yeah. Um, For mi- the record, I cannot grow a beard. Daniel can. I have. I'm not gonna lie. I have an awesome beard, and I also <laughs> curl my mustache, and I wear plaid. It all. It's all appropriate for the log cabin. I mean, I gotta keep up the persona. But uh, today we are gonna be trying some Michter single barrel straight rye. It's and uh, we've had some already, but I think we're gonna kind of give you a, a little perspective on air. So here we go. I'm topping you up a little bit, and uh, yeah. What? Tell me what you think. All right. This goes out to you, Michter. I gotta swallow this pizza in my mouth first. All right. Yeah, I'm also a, a really big whiskey fan. Um, I really, honestly, go for for bourbons first over scotch. Not because it's better, but just my habit. Well, hey, you know, we gotta try something new. And this stuff is really good. It's it's really smooth, very strong, but uh, sweet. Not much spice. More long. More along the malty line, I'd say. I would say it's not overpowering. You know, that's 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 a really okay. I'm actually gonna boast about this. My, you know, I come from an Italian family. We were used to drinking wine at at the dinner table and with the pasta and the salad and the seven course meal. I actually got my mom to actually try a sip, and she actually enjoyed this, which is mind blowing to me. Because I mean, you know, it's 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 whiskey. It's pretty yeah. strong. I would highly recommend this. This is a great rye whiskey. Definitely would rec- recommend it. And, how, much, uh, how much did you pay for this bottle, Daniel? I I got it on sale for a couple bucks. It's gonna be about forty dollars. Um, I think you could find it anywhere. But it's a great great taste. Something to, if you want to get for your man and get an Elderwood pipe. 
This is a great, great to uh, kind of compliment. Uh, sit down, just relax. Please, we encourage you, drink responsibly. Don't go crazy with this. Just This is just a great um, time to have with your friends. Just sit down and just enjoy a good conversation. And what and it's what we've had today is a great, great conversation. I appreciate you coming on to the podcast. I appreciate giving you some time so that you can get some word about, about your pipes. Yeah. Uh, again, congratulations on graduating. That's 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 no small deal. Thank you. And uh, I look forward to, uh, I mean, it's been one year. I look forward to getting to know you better. And uh, as hopefully we can have you on as a guest and talk more politics. I'm sorry if we overwhelmed you with the politics. <laughs> But it's okay. This is what he does. We, we needed to know. But I hope to have you more on the podcast. Yeah. And uh, we can talk more and maybe we can taste some more whiskeys and talk about more pipes. And, and uh, oh, one other thing. I have an announcement. This is actually a really big announcement. June 10th, 2016, Levi the Poet will be performing at the cabin. Please come. Tickets right now are ten dollars pre-sale. We have twenty-five dollar, uh, twenty-five tickets pre-sale online. Um, I will post the link on the podcast website. Levi the Pope performing at the cabin. This is going to be a great show. Jonathan's coming. He's bringing his girlfriend. You should bring your girlfriend. You should bring your spouse. You should bring your kids. Come on, this is going to be a great time. He's going to be uh, performing chapter three of the Don't Sing tour. Uh, doing correspondence from cover to cover. Um, and he's going to be uh, endorsed by Left Roasters. They're a coffee company out in um, Portland, I think Portland, Oregon. I'm just going to stick with Oregon because I know that they're out there. Um, it's going to be a fun night of coffee, conversation, and creativity. Please feel free to come out. Contact me. Um, t- tickets will be $12 at the door. So get them while you can. This is going to be a great night. Doors open at 8 o'clock. We're going to be going till 11. Who knows? We might just sit out on the porch and smoke some pipes and taste some whiskeys. So. I imagine so. Hey, Jonathan. Can't, thanks can't for coming shake. on. Hey, hey, yeah, you thanks, can't see Daniel. the handshake. So, Your show but, cans. Um, Pleasure to be on. Hey, appreciate it. Religion next time? Let's do it. Religion next time. And maybe we'll dive into more about the politics because the election Hey, the election has been a big, Ooh, big, big election. topic here. But we won't, we won't get into that tonight. But, hey, this is Dan signing off, and we encourage you guys just to to live simply. Thanks for tuning in. This is Dan signing off. And Jonathan, thanks. Have a good night, guys. Good night.